0: following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2, reading this morning verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 4. as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray together. Father, we've come to this moment, much like in Elijah's day, where the sacrifice was cut, prepared, laid out, The altar was made. The sacrifice was made ready. And, Lord, that's where we are. The message has been prepared. The songs have been sung. We have planned this moment. We have sought you. But, Lord, only you can call the fire down. And that's what we need together as a people a people that are unified in knowing that we need you a people who are passionate about seeing you act because lord not only do we do we need it we want it we want you to move we want you to lead us we want you to change us we want discouragement to be blown away by a mighty rushing wind of your power and presence. God, how we need you to speak to us when we are surrounded by lies, false promises, thinking that an abundant life means an abundance of of health or wealth or Relationships, or whatever it is. We know that you alone came to give life and to give it abundantly. So, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit, in your power. I pray that the the Word of God would catch fire in our hearts and that we would be led to keep in step with the Spirit, that we would not grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit. Oh, God, I pray now that you would speak and you would move and you would change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. As Pastor Brad said, this is the first Week of 2021, and one of the the great rhythms at Bethlehem that I look forward to and and honestly long for at the start of every year is that we, we start with the dynamic duo of prayer and the Word. And there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing that we as a church should be calling our attention to more than prayer and the Word. As Pastor Brad said, the the first two weeks are prayer week, first sermon on prayer, next week on the Word, and both of those are coming from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And then for MLK Junior Day, we have a sermon on ethnic harmony. Pastor Kenny will be preaching that, and then we have a sermon on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, Sanctity of Life Sunday, and Pastor John Piper is going to be preaching for us on that Sunday from the North Campus, live-streamed here. This week, though, the focus is on prayer. And what is going to seem a little bit strange to you is the title of this sermon is The Day of Pentecost and Prayer. But I want to call your attention to the fact that in verses 1 to 4... There is no theme of prayer. There is no word for prayer. And that is very important to me. The thing that I want you to see right away is verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That is just begging for you to see What's happened in chapter 1, where they've all been together, as Brian Tabb preached last week, that after verses 9 to 11, when Jesus ascends into heaven, what are the disciples doing? Well, we learned in verses 12 to 14, they're praying. In verses 15 and following, they're reading Scripture and realizing they, they have to be obedient. They're praying to the Lord during this time. They're replacing Judas Judas with Matthias, so that there would be 12 disciples, a renewed Israel. And when you come to verse 1, right away there is just a moment of clarity because it does not say, now when they had prayed enough, the day of Pentecost came. When they had sought the Lord enough, when they had fasted enough, when they had given enough, when they had obeyed enough, the Lord said, now I can send the Spirit. It does not say that at all. And that is incredibly significant. Notice what it does say. When the day of Pentecost arrived. That word in the original language is not just made an appearance or arrived, it's the word sum pleirao," which means it was fulfilled. The word pleirao in the Bible is something was prophesied or predicted by God and now it's being fulfilled. The word of the prophet spoken here, Jesus comes, fulfills this. This is once again fulfillment. The day of Pentecost did not happen because of prayer, but because of God's providence. We have to understand that, lest we think, well, it's all up to us. All of God's plans to be accomplished, all of 2021 to to look the way that it's supposed to, it's all up to us praying. Pentecost did not happen because of prayer, but because of God's providence. That's why it was so important for Pastor Brad to start off by saying, in 2021, just like 2020, God is still sovereign. Christ is still reigning. The Spirit is still moving. I want you to have verse 1 be the first thing that you hear in 2021. It's not going to be up to you. It's not going to be up to me. The best and worst of man is not going to change the Master's plan. It belongs to God. He is in control. He is working out his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you need to see Pentecost arrived because it was a date on God's calendar. And it was not something that the disciples had to make happen. Isn't that good news? If you're anything like me, you know that if it was left to us, we're going to mess it up. I just know that. I feel that deep in my bones. to, To start the year looking at God's unshakable, unswerving commitment to fulfill His Word is just breathtaking to me with encouragement. That this is our God. When the disciples were told to wait... He didn't tell them, wait this long. Here's what you're waiting for. We're going we're to find out next week why the day of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit was such a prophetic fulfillment moment. This week, what we're actually doing is we're noting that they were all together in one place still, and that's chapter 1. So what I want to do is I want to go back. I want to go back to chapter 1, and I want to see with you what have these disciples been doing while they wait. This is where we're going to see the theme of prayer come so powerfully. If Pentecost came because of God's providence, God's plan, God's purpose, and not because they prayed enough, then how are we to understand the relationship between providence and prayer? The day of Pentecost and prayer. Well, this is what you're going to see. Jesus commanded them to wait, to tarry in Jerusalem. Now, what are they doing while they're obeying that commandment to wait? Chapter 1 verses 12 to 14 again. I want you to see it. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So what do you do when you're in a time of waiting When the Lord has his plan, has his promises, has his purposes, what do we do? Is is waiting a, a time of passivity, of inaction, of just going about our own business while we wait? That's not what these disciples were doing. Though they were commanded to wait, they were praying. Because for them, they understand that's what it looks like when you're waiting upon the Lord to act. What the early church was united in was understanding Jesus has made promises. He's given us a commission. He's told us to wait. We can't make it happen. But we know that we're not just going to sit around and wait and focus on something else. We know that this is a time for us to be unified and devoted to seeking Him in prayer. You see, what prayer is, you see, this is a community project. It's not just that they're going off on their own individually in praying, they're coming together as a community saying that what we are united about, what we are devoted to, is that we need Jesus to act. And we want him to act. We want it more than we want anything else. We want him to fulfill his word and his promises and his purposes more than we want anything else. And we know that we can't do it on our own. They've heard Jesus say that enough to realize we can't do it without the Spirit. So here we are. We are locked in a period of waiting. So what do we do? We seek his faith. Together, we say this is the kind of people we are. We need you to act. We want you to act. We want this more than anything else. That is what this church is. Prayer is a community project with all of these different people, men and women from different backgrounds, saying this is what we're together for. We want to see Jesus' work. We need to see Jesus' work. So what do we do when we wait? We pray. We pray. We seek His face. Notice the words that Luke uses. In verse 14 he says, These with one accord. This is one of Luke's favorite words for the early church. They were together in unity. Not just in one place physically, though they often gathered in that one place, that gathering in one place was just a picture of that one mind that they had, of realizing who we are. We are a needy people. We can't go out and do this on our own. We know that. Jesus taught us that. And as one-minded people in one place, we have gathered to see the Lord work among us and in us and through us. That was the one accord that they had. If we could just start 2021 as a church with that one accord, we would be starting the year right. To be able to say, this is who we are, It's not like this year is going to be the sum total of all of our wisdom and ability and intelligence and perseverance. No, no, no. It is going to be us together, gathering in one place with one mind saying, Jesus, we need you. We need you to act. We need you to fulfill your purposes. And we are here for that. One accord. And notice that unified mind they're also not just in one accord. They are devoting themselves to prayer. They're not just unified. They're persistent in this. They're saying, this isn't like one and done. We're going to just pray for a little bit and then move away from it. We are in this together persistently, persistently pursuing the same thing. Not occasional, not once in a while, It is a common passion, a common need. Indeed, corporate prayer is a defining passion for the church. That's where we see the early church waiting for Pentecost, saying we know what to do while we wait. We're devoted to prayer with one accord. Now, don't take my word for it. Don't just think, well, this is something. This was the strategy of the early church in the beginning, and then they went away from it. This was the strategy of the church all the way through. As you look at Acts, don't take my word for it. When it comes to moments of major decisions, turning points, what do you see the church doing? When in Acts chapter 1, they have been devoting themselves to prayer. They've been studying the Scriptures. Remember, this is now, Jesus is not there physically with them anymore. He is risen. He's in heaven ascended. And just like they say to him, Lord, in chapter 1, now they're going to pray after reading Scripture, seeing that they need to be obedient to what it says about replacing Judas. Here they are while they're waiting praying, reading scripture, they're obeying. And what do they do? Acts chapter 1, verse 24, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all. This is the same Jesus now. They said, Lord, is, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? This is the same Lord, they're still in relationship with him while he's in heaven through prayer. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. We've got to obey the Scriptures. What are we going to do? Pray. Seek the Lord. Second, What do they do when they have their first experience of persecution together? When Jesus promised that if you follow me, the way they treat the master is the way they're going to treat you. What do they do when they gather together? Do they commiserate together? Do they complain together? They pray together. Acts chapter 4 verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends And reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. What are they doing? They're praying Scripture. They're gathering together, still of one accord. They're saying "Persecution's not going to pull us apart. It's not going to keep us away from Jesus. It's going to bring us closer together in prayer, in Scripture, saying, your word's being fulfilled. The rulers here, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the peoples plotting in vain, they're the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And What's happening here? Is everything spinning out of control and chaotic? No. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What does a bold, helpless people do? Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They didn't even pray for safety or protection. They just prayed for boldness to be obedient to the commission that he's given them. A church that would rather die than disobey can't be stopped. What's going to happen, Lord, is your plan and purpose. So give us boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What would have happened at this point in church history if the early church had chosen safety and comfort to pray for that rather than to pray for boldness to speak the word of Christ? The rest of Acts would have looked very different. This is a church that knows, Jesus, we need you to act We see everything that's against us. We know that we can't do it on our own. We are still united in prayer and the word. Continue to work. Continue to accomplish your purpose. What happens when they face problems in the congregation? Not just problems from the outside, but now problems from within where there's injustice in their midst. What do they do? They pray. Acts 6, verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That's why we start the year this way, devoting ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. We know if there's an injustice happening here, and the Greek-speaking widows are being overlooked, then we are going to appoint people that are Gentile to be leaders as well. That's what the Lord led them to do. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Isn't it amazing that after they get the answer, after the Lord shows them what to do and they have these people set up as deacons, it's not like they say, yay, we have the answer. They do everything in prayer. We know that this is not the end. They're not going to be able to do anything without your blessing on them. We don't just want the answer to the question of what to do. We need you to keep working, or else it's not going to work at all. What do they do? When the Samaritans are brought into the church and they're looking for guidance, what do we do? They pray. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. They lay their hands on them and pray, and they receive the Holy Spirit. What happens when there's a crisis and Peter is imprisoned and about to be executed? What do they do? They pray. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, and many were gathered together and were praying. What do they do when they're worshiping together and fasting and the gospel has yet to go to the ends of the earth? God moves. He speaks in the midst of their gathering, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas, to the work that I've called them to. And what do they do? They lay their hands on them and pray. What about when new churches that are planted need pastoral leadership? What do they do? They just use their discernment mode? No, they pray. They committed them with prayer and fasting to the Lord in whom they had believed. Everything about these disciples keeps sending the same message. We can't do it on our own. We would rather Die, then disobey. We are of one accord together, seeking to obey the Lord's word and desperately praying for him to act. Don't you want that? This has been so good for me to just bathe in this, marinate in this. Like, Lord, this is what I want. I I don't want a bunch of resolutions about losing weight and all the rest, it's not a bad thing. Don't hear me say that. Like, but this is the best thing to say what I really want more than anything else that you could give me this year, Lord, is I want to be a man of prayer. Prayer where we are part of a church together that is just seeking the Lord and saying, whatever else 2021 brings, could it bring us together in one place, needing you to act, wanting you to act, and saying, this is what we want more than anything else. Oh, that God would just grant that prayer. Recently, I was reading about sailing. I I confess I don't know a lot about sailing, but it's always fascinated me so I was reading about a, a dad and his son. Dad takes his son out for the first time to go sailing. Son doesn't know much about it. And so he's explaining it to him. They get the boat out in, in the water and it's not really moving. And the son is like, dad, where's, where's the wind? How are we going to sail without wind? And, and the son expects the dad's going to be able to answer it. And he says, I don't know. We can't control the wind, son. He says, Dad, what do we do then? We prepare for it by putting up the sail. Like what a picture of the church. This is what we are. Jesus said, you can't control the wind. It blows where it wills. But we can do something like the disciples were doing. The apostles' strategy before they did anything Anything for the Spirit to move was to say, we're ready when the wind of the Spirit comes because we got our sail up. We are ready for Him to move us. Our hearts are prepared. We're together in one accord saying, we want you to move, Holy Spirit. And the sail is up so that when He does, they're ready to go together. That's what prayer is. And Bethlehem, when you hear about setting up the sail of prayer, what do you think? Just you as an individual, that your goal this year is to spend more time putting the sail up? You're forgetting. This is a community project. This is a church. They're saying we're in the same boat together. We're heading to the same place together. We're in it together. So we're praying together. We're putting up the sail together. It's like one of those big, Ancient ships, the gigantic ones, that don't just have one sail, but have many different masts, many different sails that need to be brought up. The church is just a collection of Christians coming together, each one committed to putting up their sail in prayer and saying, for this church to move, to follow you, to be of one accord, to not be divided, to not give in, to fear. What we need is for this church together of one accord to say, let's put up our sails in 2021. And when the wind of the Spirit blows in answer to prayer, we are going to be united and rejoicing and obeying Him. Now, there, there are ways There are ways that you can prepare. Prayer is putting up the sail, ready for the wind of the Spirit to blow, but there are ways to take down the sail. So that when the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit, or Ephesians 4.30, grieving the Spirit, would be when we do... What we know that we shouldn't. When we sin, what are we doing? We're grieving the Spirit. We're taking down the sail. We're quenching all of that. When we give our time and attention and energy to other things, what are we doing? We're quenching the Spirit, grieving the Spirit. There are all kinds of ways to tear down the sail and to say, we're not really serious. About thinking we need you to move or wanting you to move. There are ways to be deeply offensive to the Lord in saying, in a self centered way, Oh, I got this. I don't need to wait for the wind of your spirit to blow. I'm going to go ahead and move on my own. How ridiculously offensive to forget the first lesson that Jesus taught. You can't do this on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't move your ship at all without me. So let's repent. I've spent so much time this week repenting. How much of 2020 did I spend with my sail down? How much time did I spend distracted? How much time did I spend over oh, a fresh work of grace? For us as a church to be of one accord together, renouncing all attempts to move on our own, do it on our own to say something else is worth pursuing more than Jesus and obedience to Him. Oh, to be a church collectively, corporately, that says what we want more than anything else when we're gathered together is to have all of our sails up and have the Spirit blow and have us follow. You see, it would be a mistake to think that in the early church, it was only the big moments of decisions, like when they have to replace an apostle, when they have to appoint elders, when they have to appoint elders, deacons. No, no. That word for devoted that you see in chapter 1, verse 14, devoted to prayer, shows up again in Acts 2.42. This has been the text on my heart all week. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, there's the word, and the fellowship. That's us, the koinonia of the church, to be of one accord to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the recipe for the early church it's why the rest of acts reads the way it does because there are people like this and where did they learn it from when jesus commanded them to wait he didn't command them to pray commanded them to wait why did they pray jesus taught them jesus prayed when he was baptized before the spirit came upon him jesus taught them if you're evil and you know how to good good give good give good give okay start over. If you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? They've learned this from Jesus. He spent the whole night in prayer in Luke chapter six before he chose the disciples. They've learned this from him. So even when they don't know what to do and about the timing and when it's going to happen, they know what to do. It's part of their DNA. Jesus has taught them, we know to pray. And if Jesus, who had perfect communion with God, needed that much prayer, are we to think that we need less? So please don't think that prayer is somehow just a discipline to master so that we can keep obeying. It's not a discipline to master. It is a relationship to be nurtured. I think when I was first starting out as a Christian, I did not understand prayer rightly. I thought of it as something that I needed to discipline myself to do, and I needed to find strategies for how to do it. And that's not bad. Like, I learned from people, okay, how do I pray? and they taught me A-C-T-S. Remember that? Adore, confess, thanksgiving, supplication. So I did that for a while. That, that was my basic prayer life. When I come into the Lord's presence after doing devotions, I would adore for a while, and then I would confess, and then I would give thanks, and then I would make supplication, let my requests be made known. And then I found I started to find it just formulaic. And dry and duty-driven. And then I read Paul Miller that said, prayer is about cultivating a relationship. It's a real living relationship. You don't go home and do that to your wife every day or your, your roommate. Adore them for a while, confess to them for a while, thank them, then request from them. It's part of relationship. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said the quickest way to quench the spirit is to not obey an impulse to pray. This is what's happening. The spirit is moving in your life and he is giving you impulses to pray. And you know the, the impulse to pray is not coming from Satan and it's not coming from your flesh. It's the spirit on the move. Give yourself to that. When you have impulses to obey, that's a spirit moving. Give yourself to that. Here is the moment of confession for me. We as a family watched Social Dilemma. I don't know how many of you have seen that, but it is one of the scariest things I've ever seen. It talks about artificial intelligence and what the makers of social media and things like that, the the way they designed it to have the, the new real estate being your attention and competing for that, and what they do to try to get you to stay engaged, to get your attention, all the tricks that they play, all the stuff that they do. They they found out that what really gets you and keeps you engaged is if they can appeal to fear and anger. And then they even have, you think as Google, like you you put in something in a search and everybody's seeing the same thing. No, they're not. It is designed for you. You are going to see something based on your usage and who you are and what you like that's different than what other people are seeing and searching. Did you know that? Did you know that the, the makers of social media, what they're doing is trying to get your attention and they're not trying to get you to worship. They're not at all. And what the Spirit is doing, John 16, 14, is He's taking the things of Jesus and magnifying them, making them known. So the Spirit is at work to call attention to Jesus so that you will worship Him, and everything else is competing for that and saying, We don't want you worshiping. We don't want you praying. We want your attention somewhere else. I think sometimes looking at your phone and allowing it to take you where they want to take you is actually the quickest way to quench the Spirit. I said, imagine what a church would look like if we were of one accord, knowing desperately we need the Lord to act, and passionately wanting him to act? What would a church like that look like? What about the opposite? What would a church look like that allows itself to follow not the wind of the Spirit, but the course of this world? And wherever it takes you, it's not going to take you to Jesus. Oh, we are in a war. And it is a war for your attention. And the Spirit is in that big time. Let's pray. Father, I pray. I pray that you would move in such a way that you, Lord, are now the one before whom all of our hearts lay. Bear, You see everything about us. You are intimately acquainted with all of our ways, our, our rising up and our lying down when we come home and when we leave home and when we lie down, and when we rise up and when we click and when we watch videos and when we do everything that we do. God I pray for the grace of repentance this morning the grace to follow you the grace that you would be at work so the church would be of one accord together in unison in unity putting up our sails and wanting you to move and wanting to keep in step with the spirit and not quench the spirit or grieve the spirit oh God we pray You would find us a prayerful, unified, obedient people desperately needing you, passionately wanting you to act more than we want anything else. Oh God, help us to obey when the Spirit blows and when the Spirit shines and when the Spirit shows us Christ. Oh God, let us give ourselves to it this year. 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.